This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week six of the college football season is already in the books. Week five of the NFL season has concluded, and I'll be recapping all of it this evening with the NFL draft report for week six of the college football season. A short Debbie slant on some of the top underclassmen in the country, a tail of the tape as we look ahead to week seven from the top prospects and matchups to be on the lookout for. And then we'll conclude with the NFL rookie report five weeks now into the into the NFL season. Lots to discuss with these NFL rookies in terms of buying low, selling high, who we'd be holding on to. You know, it's a lot to make sense of. A lot of rookies have not really gotten their opportunity. And I think that leaves an opportunity for a buying window for people who are frustrated for maybe what they have seen. As you can hear, I'm running solo this evening. Uh, Matt will hopefully be back next week for the NFL Draft Report as we recap you know, everything that happened this upcoming weekend. Uh, but tonight I'm going to run through, tell you my thoughts, and, and share my takes on what I saw this weekend uh, when watching a lot of games on Saturday and then obviously the NFL games on Sunday as well. So let's get right into it with the NFL Draft Report for Week 6. I'm going to start at the quarterback position because I – I, I, I had some tweets about this and I want to talk and spend some time discussing Jordan Love. Matt and I last week on the show talked about in the tail of the tape that the Utah State LSU game would be a highly anticipated game and it wouldn't be from a competitive standpoint, from a good football game, but it was an opportunity to watch Jordan Love against the LSU Tigers. And to be honest with you, it kind of unfolded kind of how I think many people expected it to unfold. He showed a few things. He showed some glimpses. He showed some of his creativity as a quarterback, his ability to make some plays on the move, throw on the run, play a little bit off structure. You saw some of that. You saw some of that early in the game before things kind of, you know, uh, went by the wayside and LSU just ended up flat out dominating the rest of the game. Jordan Love ended up, but, you know, 15 of 30 for 130 yards and three, t- uh, three interceptions. Obviously, a really poor game. But I, I think people jump to conclusions. And, you know, I saw some things on Twitter in terms of just fans commenting, you know, that. You know, this game proved that uh, Jordan Love is a little bit of a fraud, that, you know, he's not the prospect that maybe he was getting hyped up to be. And and I I say to that, I think that's I think that's ridiculous because we need to do a better job of taking in the context of what these quarterbacks are playing and surrounded by who they're playing against, who they're playing with and, and make a better conclusion of jumping. You know, Matt and I have gone on record, and I said it. You know, we weren't the biggest Daniel Jones fans. You know, Matt and I both thought he was an early second round pick, not a guy who should have been the top ten pick. You know, and and we've been proven wrong of that. I think everything I've seen in Daniel Jones, and I'll talk more about him in the NFL Rookie Report, tells me that my stance on him was was way wrong, and he did warrant going where he was taken. 
Previously, it was Josh Allen. And I remember, I'm drawing a blank on who Josh Allen played his last year at Wyoming. They had a big game early in the season. I remember people circled that game and said, this is a big test for Josh Allen. But the truth of the matter was, it wasn't really a competitive game because he was outmanned and undermatched. And he didn't have the skill players. He didn't have the offensive line to really see his skill set shine in that. And then if you look back at last year, while I might not love Daniel Jones, the one thing I didn't hold against Daniel Jones was how he looked in that game against Clemson. And that's kind of what this Jordan Love game reminded me of. It reminded me of that Daniel Jones games against Clemson last year when he threw multiple interceptions. They barely scored any points. I didn't take anything away from that Daniel Jones game. If anything, I, I saw some plays in that Clemson game that made me excited about Daniel Jones even a little bit. And I came away the same thing with Jordan Love this week. I still think he's a guy who NFL teams are going to be very enamored with. I don't think he is going to be taken before Tua or Herbert, but I still think he's very much in the mix to be the third quarterback off the board in the 2020 NFL draft. I still think he's got a chance to be a first-round quarterback. You see glimpses of him that remind you of Patrick Mahomes, you know, and I think Dane Brugler was the first person who, who put out an article that had some quotes from scouts in the summer uh, where somebody mentioned that. And I, and I think it's in, I think it's a fair thing. When you go back, if you go back and watch Patrick Mahomes when he was in college, I think you see some of the things that makes Jordan Love a really intriguing prospect. You see the arm talent. You see the ability for him to flick his wrists. You see the ability to move around in the pocket, to use his athleticism, to keep his eyes downfield, to make plays. So I, I understand that. Who's who knows if he's ever gonna even remotely, you know, be a big time talent. That is to be determined. And there's a lot of factors that go into it. But for people who are saying this week proved that he's not a big time prospect, I don't believe that. I don't want to hear that, oh, you should be able to elevate the players around you. Not when you're so outmanned and undermatched and this talent on the other side is so dramatically uh, superior to what you're playing with. I, I just don't buy that. I, I don't. I didn't, I didn't buy that excuse as for Daniel Jones when he faced Clemson. I didn't buy that excuse for Josh Allen when he played with, at Wyoming and was outmatched when they went up against bigger time opponents. I just think we have to do a better job with the quarterbacks at realizing the circumstances and situations around them. And we have to look past the box scores. We have to look past interceptions and mistakes that they make on the football field because they often are trying to do too much in these games to maybe try to even keep their team competitive or at least put some points on the scoreboard and that leads to mistakes and you people and people who watch the film on these guys have to understand that so I don't think was it his coming out party sure would I have liked to see him for over 300 yards two touchdowns and keep that game competitive for a couple quarters sure but I'm not downgrading him in any way shape or form because LSU ran you know all right through them and Joe Burrow who I'll talk about in a second had an outstanding game and and was just putting up points left and right so I'm still a believer in Jordan Love I still think he's got a legitimate shot to be a first round pick uh, and I think we have to just make sure we're careful not to overreact to this one game. As I mentioned, his name, Joe Burrow, continues, obviously, again, the advantage that LSU had in this game, the skill player advantage was 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 stark. 
but Burrow continues to impress. Beringer in 44 yards and five touchdowns. The buzz in the draft Twitter community, the buzz that you see on Twitter is that Joe Burrow is a guy who is moving up draft boards. And, and I can see that. He was a guy that even before his breakout year, you know, when I first put a grade on him for a draft projection, my 20th guy notebook, when I watched him in the summer, I had put a late day two, day early day three grade on him because I already thought there were some unique things about his game in terms of physical attributes. So I, I think Burrow is a guy. This year we're seeing him do more of the true quarterback stuff, better decision-making, going through progressions, you know, showing the ability to stay in the pocket and make throws, you know, scanning the field. So I think Joe Burrow is a guy who has squarely pushed himself into consideration to maybe be a day two pick. And who's to know if he continues to do this this year, if he can even push himself further up into the mix of being a, maybe a top four, top five quarterback in this class. So Burrow's arrow is squarely stock up. I watched some of the Iowa-Michigan game. I still just don't see it with Nate Stanley. I know he has fans in the NFL community. He has fans in the draft Twitter community. In this game, 260 yards, three interceptions. Stanley is a guy who every time I watch him, I come away thinking this guy is a day three prospect. You know, maybe, you know, he's got some intriguing skill sets, but he's a practice squad, you know, with the ability to, you know, develop into a backup quarterback. Like, I think that's the kind of player he is, a third string or, or backup quarterback at the next level. And even that I don't think is a, you know, a foregone conclusion. So I just, I don't see Nate Stanley as being a big time quarterback prospect, the guy who could be a top 100 pick. Let's take this over to Jake Fromm. This past week, he was up against Tennessee. He was 24 of 29, 288 yards and two touchdowns. He's kind of just going along his business this year, taking care of business, picking up W's, and being the same quarterback that we've seen over the years with Jake Fromm. You know, he he's getting the job done. There's not a lot of flash to his game. I think there's a lot of pressure on him this year with the fact that Georgia kind of chose him over Justin Fields. So I do think when he faces the Alabamas of the world, if he gets to the playoffs and, you know, he goes up against the Oklahoma's or the Ohio States or the Clemson's, I do think there's more pressure on him this year. I look at him and I still think he is the ultimate game manager and it's not a negative connotation. I think he can take care of the football well. I think he can run the offense. I think he could be an average starting quarterback, you know, maybe to above average. I think I just don't see a player that can carry a, a, a team without a, a strong supporting cast around him. And I think that's a lot of quarterbacks. So I don't think it's a knock on him. And if Daniel Jones can go in the top 10 last year, I think it's possible Jake Fromm go in the top 10 this year. I think he checks off a lot of the boxes, you know, it appears in terms of work ethic, the mental processing, decision-making leadership, all those stuff. He's probably going to test really well and interview really well. So there's a lot to like in his game. It's the physical attributes that hold me back a little bit. I, I think his his arm talent is probably just average to above average slightly. Uh, and I just I he can do a little bit with his legs and athleticism, but I don't think that's something that he's going to really do a lot of damage in terms of playing off structure, or off script. You know, when he has to, he can. But you know, he's he's going through the 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 season here, doing what he needs to do. But I do think 
in the pre-draft months, his game is going to be really analyzed closely. So I'm interested to see if the narrative surrounding Jake Fromm changes at all once the, you know, he's really being critiqued, you know, closely. One other quarterback I'll mention is Jacob Eason. He was 16 of 30, 206 yards, one touchdown, one interception against Stanford. This is a little bit of a step back most of this year. Eason was showing growth, showing development, showing better accuracy, ball placement, decision-making. This game against a Stanford team that is not that strong this year was a little bit you know, uh, discouraging, but still overall, I do think he – has shown the talent, has shown the raw traits, has shown the physical attributes, and has improved enough in areas of concern that I think he's squarely on the mix in the in the top fifty. So I think I think he's in the mix in the top fifty. I think Fromm's going in the top fifty picks. I think Joe Burrow has maybe pushed himself into that consideration. And then we obviously still have Jordan Love, Tua, and Justin Herbert. So I think we have a lot of quarterbacks in the mix. That could be, you know, a bunch in round one, a couple more in round two. So it's going to be interesting to follow that closely. Let's take this to the running back position. And the first guy I want to talk about is Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, they went up against uh, an inferior opponent this week in Wisconsin, dominating them. They had 186 yards, four touchdowns on the ground, another three catches, 29 yards, and a touchdown in the pass game as well. Taylor continues to check boxes this year, and we've talked about it a little bit in terms of he has shown the ability to be a competent receiver. And there was a great conversation going on on Twitter, and and Ray from DLF, great uh, Devi and, and draft Twitter person to be following if you're not. But but Ray was talking about how basically it's two different types of players, and and the, and you know it's something Matt and I have talked about in terms of the running back position. You have your true receiving threats that are legitimate playmakers that can run receiver type routes. And when you look at those guys, they're few and far between in terms of the elite running backs at the NFL level. You're talking the Christian McCaffrey's, the Saquon Barkley's, the Alvin Kamara's and the David Johnson. Those are guys that are true playmakers in terms of their pass catching ability. You have some other really good pass catchers like Tariq Cohen and stuff like that, but they're more James White. They're more specialized roles. And then there's the Melvin Gordons of the world, the Leonard Fournette's of the world. Melvin Gordon wasn't asked to catch many passes at Wisconsin. Leonard Fournette wasn't asked to catch many passes at LSU. And people had questions and concerns about their pass catching ability. But what we've seen from Melvin Gordon over his career in the NFL, what we've seen out of Leonard Fournette in particular this year is that they can be used as a check down. They can be used on screens. They can be productive receivers and competent receivers out of the backfield. And that's all Jonathan Taylor, AJ Dillon and Travis Ethian have to show the rare guy who can be that real playmaking weapon out of the backfield well, the one guy in this class who I see that is is DeAndre Swift. It's been the number one reason why he stayed atop my running back board. And he was up there before the season started. And I don't really see that changing. You know, maybe Jonathan Taylor is the best pure runner, but the best and most complete and most dangerous playmaker is DeAndre Swift. And I think DeAndre Swift is a guy who's going to be more classified like the McCaffreys and the Kamaras and the Saquons and the David Johnson in terms of his playmaking ability as, as a receiver. While I think the, those other guys, Taylor, Ethan, AJ Dillon, you know, they just have to show that they're confident that they could be Leonard Fournette. Like they could be Melvin Gordon. Like they can be a factor in the passing game. 
and not a zero and not be Jordan Howard for, for an example. And if they do that, I think they, they've checked the box that I think people had questions about them. And I think this year's a perfect example with Jonathan Taylor, you know, for us to be very careful about saying a player can't do something and clarifying a little bit more clearly that maybe they just haven't been asked to do it because Leonard Fournette just wasn't asked to catch passes at LSU. Melvin Gordon wasn't asked to catch passes at Wisconsin, but they've shown now in the NFL that they're capable of doing that as and be a part of the offense in terms of the passing game. And I think we're seeing that at a Taylor, Ethan, and a little bit lesser extent, A.J. Dillon, who was the next guy I was going to bring up. This year, I, I feel like people aren't really talking about him, but the last four games, 118 yards, 150 nine yards, 150 yards, two touchdowns, 151 yards, and one touchdown. I still think A.J. Dillon is a really talented prospect. He's getting lost in the shuffle, I think, a little bit in this overall draft class, but I think he's a day-two prospect. I think his athleticism is special for a man his size. If he's showing that he can be at least, again, competent and be a guy who can catch some short dump-off, check down, screen passes, I think that's fine. Uh, so I think Dylan is a guy who the pre-draft process could be good for him because I do think at his size, he's going to test out as an elite level athlete. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list last year as well. Keep us going with the running back position. JK Dobbins, 24 carries, 172 yards and one touchdowns. Just continues to have a really strong bounce back year. Obviously his freshman year was really outstanding. He took a little bit of a step back last year. But now we're seeing him be a much more integral part of this offense there for Ohio State. The addition of Justin Fields really opened things up for him. I think he's shown the ability that he could be an inside runner as well as a guy who can play in space. I think that was important for Dobbins this year. I think he continued to show that this past week as well. Anthony McFarland, a name I've brought up on here multiple times, one of my favorite under-the-radar prospects. Continues to not get a lot of work, but when he does, he makes big plays happen. Seven carries, 87 yards, and two touchdowns. I'll continue to say Darrell Henderson-like player. I think the NFL is going to be enamored with his burst, long speed, and acceleration. I I would love to see him get more work and even more touches for that Maryland offense, but we just have not seen it yet. If I take this to the wide receiver position, not a lot I wanted to make a note of here. I will say... uh. One of Matt's favorites is Dez Fitzpatrick. Five catches, 108 yards, and one touchdown. Showing this year a little bit more than last year was a really tough year for Fitzpatrick. Two years ago with Lamar Jackson, we saw Fitzpatrick uh, really put up an impressive year. We were very high on him going into last season, and then uh, the rails kind of fell off there for the uh, Louisville pass offense, and Fitzpatrick kind of you know saw his production and his statistics go down. But we're starting to see more production from Fitzpatrick. Really like his overall skill set, inside outside versatility, shows an, uh, the ability to win at the catch point, good body control. So I like Fitzpatrick's overall game, and then Chase Claypool, another guy, man, I have talked a little bit. You know, I watched some of that Notre Dame game. He had only had three catches, 61 yards, but two touchdowns. And what really intrigues me about Claypool is maybe it's because last year, Miles Boykin kind of came out of nowhere to test out well athletically. I'm intrigued to kind of see Claypool when we get to the pre-draft process. He's got a, he's, he's athletic for his size. He's got good body control. He's got good hands. I like his ability to adjust in air. I like his physicality and toughness. 
I'm curious to see how he tests overall athletically, and he might be a guy that tests a lot better than maybe people are giving him credit for as well. So I'm interested to see Chase Claypool there as well. So that that's it for the NFL draft report. Not There wasn't a lot of prospects that really popped this week that I wanted to talk about. So we wanted to, I spent a decent amount of time talking on the quarterbacks, especially to Jordan Love and everything associated with that. So I thought that was definitely important. Let's take this over to the Debbie Slant, uh, a quick recap of some stuff from the underclassmen this past week. I don't have a lot of names. The first one I'll talk about is Bo Nix. He's a guy that we have regularly brought up in the Debbie Slant. He's been having a really productive freshman year, but this game against Florida, the him and the Auburn team struggled. He was 11 of 27, 145 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. I think there's better days again to come for Bo Nix. Not surprised in this tough game against a tough defense that we saw him have some struggles. But overall, I still think Nix is one of the more talented underclassmen quarterback in the country. I think he's a guy that we will be talking about when eventually his draft class comes up as being one of the top potential quarterback prospects in his class. So, Sometimes off a bad game like this, it's a, maybe a buy-in window or a buy-in opportunity in your Debbie leagues. Uh, Bo Nix would still be a guy that I am extremely high on. At the running back position, Master Teague, try to get him now if you can get him on your Debbie teams because he's going to take over for J.K. Dobbins next year, and we're going to see him put up monster statistical production. Anytime I watch Ohio State and he gets touches, he impresses. He's 5'11", 220, so he's got good size, good frame. I like his overall running ability, the the quickness that we see from him, the toughness and the physicality. This week it was 14 carries for 90 yards, but it's been all year. I think Master Teague, when he gets an opportunity, has impressed me uh, for sure. At the wide receiver position, Jamar Chase, we've talked about him a lot. Three catches, 54 yards and a touchdown. But more importantly, every time I watch him, you know, I come away really impressed. His body control, his ball skills, his ability to extend, adjust, contort his body, catch the ball away from his frame. This is a guy who's going to be a big, big time recruit. I mean, a big, big time prospect when he's eligible. There's a lot to like about his game. And now that LSU offense is kind of found, you know, a new life in terms of the creativity and the play calling. I think the sky is the limit for, for how high Jamar Chase could elevate his overall game. And then at the tight end position to round out to Debbie Slant, Brevin Jordan, we've talked about him before. He might be the most talented tight end in the entire country, underclassmen, draft eligible in general. Seven catches, 136 yards, and one touchdown in that game against Virginia Tech. Brevin Jordan is... Pr- is is arguably the best all-around tight end prospect in college football right now. I think he is on the trajectory to be a high draft pick when he is eligible in the 20 uh in the 2021 draft class that is. So Brevin Jordan is a guy who really intriguing. Get him on your Devi teams now if you can because he is a guy who is going to be highly regarded you know, we started this past year, Hawkinson and Fant go round one, go high in rookie drafts. I have a feeling Brevin Jordan is probably the next tight end prospect that we might feel the same way about. I do think we have some intriguing ones for this upcoming year, but I think Brevin Jordan might be the one that we're most excited about in the future. 
With that, let's take this to the tail of the tape when we take a look ahead to week seven from a prospect and matchup perspective. A couple games that I have my eyes on in prospects, obviously Oklahoma versus Texas, number six versus number 11. So many players to keep an eye on in that. Obviously the quarterbacks, Sam Ellinger having a really good year for Texas. Jalen Hurts, absolutely in consideration for the Heisman Trophy. C.D. Lamb, one of the top wide receiver prospects in the country. The wide receivers over at Texas as well. Keep a close eye on them. Duvernay, see if Colin Johnson uh, gets back into the mix uh, also. So that is a game that should be high scoring, should be fun to watch. Uh, so keep an eye on that lot of draft eligible prospects that we could be watching there. Didn't even mention the running backs for Oklahoma, obviously Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks also on my radar as well for that game. Another game, Georgia versus South Carolina. We've talked about Brian Edwards a couple times this year. Brian Edwards against George, uh, against Alabama earlier in the year. We had our eyes fixated on that this week. It's against the Georgia defense. How does Brian Edwards look in that? On the other side, obviously, another game for Jake Fromm, DeAndre Swift, and the rest of the Georgia guys uh, should handle that game, I think, easily. But more intrigued to see Edwards versus Georgia than the Georgia guys versus South Carolina. Michigan State, Wisconsin. Uh, Brian Lewarki struggled again last week in a big spot there against Ohio State. I expect him to struggle again this week. I just don't see it with Lewarki. You know, I know some prior to last season were very high on him. I think he's a practice squad, third stringer type guy with maybe an opportunity if he develops to be a backup somewhere. Uh, but this week, I think Wisconsin controls that game at the line of scrimmage. I think Jonathan Taylor's in for another big workload and productive game as well. Florida State Clemson, obviously on the Clemson side, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, T. Higgins, Justin Ross are the big names to be following. Matt and I last week talked about Clemson and their and their Lack of dominance this year and inconsistent play from Justin Ross and Travis Etienne and and Trevor Lawrence as well. So interesting to see if they kind of get rolling in this game. On the Florida State side, Tamarine Terry, Cam Akers, two of my favorite prospects uh, in this class. Akers at the wide receiver position, Terry at the uh, wide receiver position, Akers at the running back position. Can they get anything going against this Clemson defense? It'll be interesting to follow. We have Florida LSU. Uh, obviously, L- Florida coming off that big win off Auburn last week. Ken Michael P. Ryan keep it going on the ground. He was one of the stars of the game last week. I think the sledding will be much tougher versus LSU. And then how does Joe Burrow and that cast of really talented LSU wide receivers look against the Florida Gators who you know, showed last week in that game against Auburn, their dominance and their, you know, strong defense. How does Burrow and the LSU offense perform in this one? Uh, Penn State versus Iowa. I already talked about Nate Stanley earlier. Can he bounce back and have a more productive game this week against Penn State? On the Penn State side, Devin Ford, the underclassman running back, is a guy that is intriguing me. I'll have close eyes on him. And then USC, Notre Dame. I already talked about Chase Claypool earlier, uh, but my eyes will be on him. And Ian Book on the Notre Dame side. And then on the USC side, it's the wide receivers that intrigue me with the USC Michael Pittman, Tyler Vons, Amon Ross, St. Brown, all of those guys, how do they perform against Notre Dame is what I'll be following very closely. 
Let's conclude tonight's show with the NFL Rookie Report for Week 5. I can't believe five weeks already into the book in terms of the NFL season. We're more than a quarter of the way through now the NFL season. We start at the quarterback position. We haven't talked about him, and it's a guy that I should have brought up a couple weeks ago. Uh, Somehow my ranking of him in the Dynasty Rookie Rankings had gotten deleted. So that has been updated to include him again. And that's Gardner Minshew. I mean, what he's doing, Minshew mania, the excitement around him, the spark that he has brought to the Jaguars has been nothing short of amazing. It's, you make, it, it makes me wonder if Nick Foles will get his job back when he is healthy. I guess it depends on what happens over the next, you know, handful of games with Minshew. He might be a starter for week 11 or 12. I think that was the original time frame for Nick Foles. So we'll see there, but he is showing the ability to play within himself, not try to do too much, get the ball out quickly. He's got better athleticism than I think people gave him credit for. You know, if you watched him at Washington State, you saw some of that. He threw with good touch. I remember when I watched him, I was impressed with his ability to play off structure, to throw on the run, to move around, buy some time in the pocket. And he did show, even in that air raid offense, he did show the ability to go through progressions in that offense. So so Minshew's success, you know, he was a sixth-round pick, so you never really know if those guys can get an opportunity you know, I thought he had a chance to be a backup title quarterback, maybe a spot starter here or there. He has surpassed those expectations this year, and you're left to start in the wonder if he could potentially be a long-term starter there. So Minshew is a guy whose stock is clearly on the rise. Kyler Murray continues to start to utilize those legs, and that is keeping his floor really high. In terms of fantasy football, we have not seen a ceiling-type game yet in his explosion. He's had very low touchdown percentage. But Kyler Murray continues to not be helped in any way by the coaching staff and by the play scheme. A lot of short passes, not really pushing the ball in the intermediate to vertical parts of the field. I think Murray can handle that. But right now, we're just not he's just not being asked to do a lot of that. Part of it's probably the offensive line, but it'd be interesting. It'd be hopefully over the next couple of weeks they start to open it up a little bit more. Maybe this week against Atlanta, it's poor defense. They open it up and and give Murray a little bit of an opportunity. And then Daniel Jones, and and this is this goes back to this goes back to what, where I started the conversation with Jordan Love earlier this evening on the pod. I saw a lot of people over the last two weeks, you know, really nitpicking Daniel Jones. And this is just the way it's going to be. And and part of this is is just similar to Josh Allen is that people are not going to want to get off their stance and off their narrative about what they thought about Daniel Jones, the player. I mean, they won the Washington game. Yeah, he had two interceptions. It was two pad passes in a row. That's going to happen. He's a rookie quarterback. Every time he makes a mistake, it's like people want to make it a referendum on this is who he is. This is what we saw on film. He's already shown more at the NFL game than almost anybody gave him credit for, you know, in the pre-draft process. This past week, yeah, he he had a, he struggled against Minnesota, not unexpectedly, but he stood tall in the pocket. He made some tough throws. He made some good throws. He left plays on the field for sure. But he showed toughness. He showed the ability to push the ball vertically down the field in a beautiful pass to Darius Slayton, uh, who I'll talk a little about in a little bit momentarily. You know, challenging Xavier Rhodes, one of the top corners in 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 the NFL. I came away 
while there were things that he needed to fix and things that he could have done better this game, I walked away this game thinking that it was a it was an impressive performance holding up. I mean, that game, you know, was still a relatively close game in well into the third quarter, the Giants could have got back into that game that maybe they wouldn't have stopped anybody, but the Giants, you know, kind of just kept getting down the field and would go for it on fourth down. And, you know, they weren't, you know, executing there, but, but I thought he held his own against that defense for Minnesota. His offensive line played atrociously in that game. And and I continue to be impressed with what I see with Daniel Jones. And I'm sure the naysayers are going to be out in full effect this week because the Giants are playing the Patriots on Thursday night football. All reports are that they're not going to have Saquon Barkley. They're not going to have Evan Ingram. They're not going to have Sterling Shepard. So it's going to probably be ugly. This is a game that we're probably talking multiple interceptions, multiple turnovers, you know, multiple mistakes, maybe no touchdowns. I mean, I don't think the Patriots defense has given up a pass touchdown all year. So, I mean, you got to take it with just like we were talking about with Jordan Love earlier, what we were talking about with Daniel Jones in the Clemson game last year. You got to take some of that into consideration. I mean, in terms of what they're playing with, you know, I, I think it's important to have context. And I think sometimes it's just too easy for people to box score stats without any context and make, you know, judgment on these players. At the running back position, you got to love what you're saying, what you're saying that Josh Jacobs. He was my favorite running back prospect. I, you know, when last year started, it was Rodney Anderson. And then by midseason, you know, when I really started to get more film on Josh Jacobs, Rodney Anderson got bumped down to number two on talent alone because it was Josh Jacobs and how much of a fan I was of him. Oakland continues to really give him a heavy workload. Still would like to see a little bit more work in the past game, but he had a couple catches this week, but they're showing the willingness to feed him touches. His play strength, I told you before in the pre-draft process, he's a little bit... Mark Ingram and a little bit Alvin Kamara. I think he's got the power and strength and physicality and toughness and finishing ability of Mark Ingram. But then he shows, you know, in the open field, he he has some agility and quickness. And I think his receiving ability is really good to have some Alvin Kamara in his game. So I think he's like part Alvin Kamara, part, you know, Mark Ingram and combine them into his own player. And I think he's a really good player. Maybe he's not on the level of some of these other former early round one running backs like Saquon or Christian McCaffrey, but he is very talented in his own right. Uh, And I think we started to see that, that, that performance against the bears this past weekend in London was one of the more impressive performances uh, this past weekend. And there was a lot of impressive performances uh, around the NFL uh, this past weekend. In terms of some running backs that I'd be looking to buy low on, it's it's Darwin Thompson, it's Justice Hill, and Sorrell Henderson. All three of those guys uh, were got a lot of excitement and a lot of, bit of buzz post-draft, preseason, training camp. Just haven't had an opportunity yet. But this is the best time to go try to get those guys because the owners of those teams are probably frustrated. You know, Henderson costs a lot. Hill costs a decent amount, probably as a se- early to mid to late second round rookie pick. Darwin Thompson was probably taken in the late second, somewhere to the mid third of rookie drafts. Those guys might be more available than you think especially to a team that maybe is playing for now and needs help. So I would try to buy low on any of those three guys. I'd also keep an eye on Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, probably two of the best handcuffs 
in the NFL right now. If I was a Dalvin Cook owner, if I was an Ezekiel Elliott owner, I would really try hard to get those two guys on my roster. At the wide receiver position, uh, I'm going to talk about Michael Harmon in terms of more of the big picture. When Tyree Kill comes back, I think there's going to be a buy-low window on Mecole Hardman, provided Sammy Watkins gets healthy and Hardman's just not seen the work and the, the target share that he has been. But I do think that there's a strong likelihood Sammy Watkins is not on this roster next year. They can get out of his salary without much guaranteed money. Cap hit wouldn't be too bad. Mecole Hardman is a guy who I think we've seen glimpses already this year of how special of a player, his ability to get vertical, his ability to win after the catch, uh, his ability to make plays in the open field and be a playmaker, be an electric playmaker, all the reasons why I was a big fan of him pre-draft and post-draft. So I think you wait for Tyree Kill to come back. You wait for Nicole Hardman to kind of get pushed a little bit further down the depth chart. And then I think you strike and try to get for him, get him on your roster before the offseason hits. Because I think once the offseason hits, his stock will rise again. So I think you got to use the down part of this season to try to buy low on Nicole Hardman if you get the opportunity. Uh, I mentioned before uh, Slayton of the Giants. He's a guy intriguing to me uh Darius Slayton burner for free speed can can get vertically down the field had some drop issues at Auburn which is what forced him to drop a little bit but we saw him last week beat Xavier Rhodes put on a really impressive move to get behind him I think Slayton has a real chance to emerge as the Giants third wide receiver now I understand third wide receiver not very fancy viable because third wide receiver but fifth option when you talk about having Saquon Barkley out of the backfield Evan Ingram but Sterling Shepard's injured right now suffered a second concussion of the season he might be out for a little bit of lengthy time you know golden tape because of his suspension to start the year the Giants technically can uh, get out of the rest of his guaranteed money so if they don't want to bring him back at like I think it was $11 million a year or something like that. If they don't want to bring him back at the end of the season, they can get out of that contract with no, uh, you know, no guaranteed money, uh, minimal cap hit, just whatever the signing bonus was prorated. So they can get out of Golden Tate's contract very easily. Sterling Shepard is now battling these concussions. So I do think there's an opportunity for Slane to have some value this year but potentially more value next year. Giants have lots of holes on defense, offensive line, et cetera, et cetera. You know, secondary linebackers, they need a whole overhaul. They might not be able to invest an important resource at the wide receiver position. So they might need somebody to kind of develop. I mean, they'll probably add to the wide receiver mix, but it might not be a first or second round pick. might not be a high-priced free agent. So that might give an opportunity for a guy like Slayton. So I think he is an interesting buy low Get him on your team if it, if it's if he's on the waiver wire. I'd pick him up and try to stash him. Also, I like what I'm seeing out of Deontay Johnson. It looks like he is leapfrogged James Washington. Obviously, with the quarterback situation in Pittsburgh, I don't think Johnson is going to be relevant week in and week out right now. But again, I think you use that opportunity to maybe buy low on him at some point, and then you know you hope next year Roethlisberger is back. Uh, 
Johnson could potentially be a guy who intrigues down the line. And then also Preston Williams, uh, the undrafted free agent out of Miami, but we knew he had the talent to be a much higher pick if he didn't have some issues away from the football field. I think his stock is up right now as well that I'd be looking uh, to try to get him next year. Can't be any worse for the Dolphins. Most likely they will be taking a quarterback early in the draft. They'll be spending some money in free agency. So the Dolphins, I'm sure, will be a much more competitive football team next year. But I think Preston Williams has a good opportunity to be one of their starting wide receivers moving forward. So I would try to get him this year when things are really, you know, no one really wants anything to do with the Dolphins. I think that you might be able to use that opportunity to try to get him on your roster now. So there it is, guys, the NFL Rookie Report for Week 5. Hopefully you enjoyed, guys, this solo episode. I did want to share my thoughts from this past weekend of the college football and the NFL season here. Guys, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please, wherever you listen to your podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. And then also get over to the website, ssfootball.com is the quickest and easiest way to get there. Check out our premium content. For $9.99, you get access to all four premium notebooks. You get the 2020 uh, scouting notebook. It has already write-ups on... 18 quarterbacks, 16 tight ends, 29 running backs, 25 wide receivers. It will be added and updated throughout the season. More players added, uh, draft projections, strengths, weaknesses, you know, how they win, NFL role, uh, fantasy spin, all that is updated and edited as needed. We'll add more players and make more big major updates after the season. Uh, we split it into more of an offensive draft guide and split it between draft eligible prospects and then the guys that do declare you get that immediately you get the rankings notebook it has all our rankings debbie rankings draft eligible rankings dynasty rookie rankings uh we make our tiers and put them in there we do our new dynasty rookie rankings after next year's draft as well and then in late march through mid-april you get two more notebooks all included in that 9.99 price you get the 2020 freshman notebook where Matt does that and he writes uh, profiles and descriptions on the top incoming freshman prospects you need to know for your Debbie league. And just as fans of college football and getting a leg head start for dynasty rookie drafts years and years out. And then also uh, in April, you get the 2020 NFL draft projections notebook where I work on that for months and months. It has tabs for every single position, offense and defense. It has notes on over 400 players, all their measurements, their combine metrics if they test at the combine. And I rank them in everything I am hearing in terms of how I expect them to come off the board. You also get uh, a tab where it is my projected top 32, my projected top three rounds, which is usually the top 100, and then my guess at the all seven rounds of draft picks are usually around 254 to 256 picks all on one tab as like a crib sheet uh, to, to have with you all draft weekend as well. People who have gotten it really do enjoy the draft projections notebook on top of everything else. So if you have any questions on any of the premium notebooks, please do not hesitate to reach out to me or Matt or the SS football handle, and we'll gladly answer them as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>